you, Lord. Yeah, let's just pray here. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, we trust you, Lord. I trust you, Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts today to receive your word. Lord, as our worship is an outward expression that leads to inward reception. So, Lord, I pray that we just receive you as you have met us this morning, Lord, I pray that we would receive you fresh and new, Lord, in the way that you would desire us to receive you this morning. Jesus, I want to speak to us prophetically today. So, Lord, I pray that you would just give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts that understand, Lord. Lord, let us stay engaged in the spirit. I pray even right now, every one of us would just enter back into that spirit realm. Lord, that we would let our faith draw out the word of God, that by faith we would receive the word of God into our hearts, into our minds. Lord, I pray that it would just wash us anew and afresh today. Jesus. Lord, we bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. For me, there's been so much confirmation um, that has just kind of circled around um, what we've done in worship together over the last month or so. And I'm just so excited to, to, and, and encouraged to share this today. So I, I do want to speak to us prophetically. Um, what was really amazing is as I was studying out what the Lord had laid on my heart, um, and I didn't know about what Mike Bickle was doing or what you guys had in your heart to do, but I know this, and I'll get into the story and the, the few visions that I've had that have brought me to this conclusion that God is stirring up hunger. It's a fresh hunger. He's anointing us with fresh hunger. And the two quotes that I found were from Mike about hunger, and he says this, God releases more of his power and presence according to the measure of our hunger for him. So here we are, we're asking for his power and his presence, and he releases that according to the measure of our hunger for him. Another quote, he says, your capacity to receive is based on your hunger to pursue. I mean, this is amazing. So I'm just thankful that you guys have heard in the spirit and that you are being obedient because we don't really, I mean, we love revelation and I, I pray for more revelation to come. But at the end of the day, we don't necessarily always need more revelation. We need more obedience because it will make it harder for us on the day of judgment when we've known better and didn't do better. So as we receive revelation, it is just as important then that we are obedient to walk that out. <clears throat> um, I, I hope I can communicate this smoothly, so I pray that you guys could um, stay with me on this. Um, it was a few weeks ago, it was a Wednesday practice, and we were just up here practicing worship, and, and the Lord shows me this parable. It was just like this flash vision parable. 
And I mean, it was full of words, you know? I mean, I just knew this was rich and I knew he was, what he was saying to me. And at the end of it, he spoke something to me. But this is what I saw. I saw Jesus dressed in a cooking apron and he had a cooking hat on. And he was, in this parable, he was the beloved friend preparing a meal for his beloved friends. And I see the work that he's put into it and I, I see everything that he's done. And, and I guess even by show of hands, like how many have ever prepared a meal for at least one person? Have you ever cooked a meal for someone? How many of us have ever prepared a meal, let's say for five friends and family that you were just excited to have over to your house for dinner, okay? Have you ever hosted, let's say a major holiday feast, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. You know the work that goes into preparing this meal, right? The invitation goes out, people respond, we're gonna be there. The day of the dinner comes and you have went to the store, you've purchased all the things, you've counted the cost, you've set up tables, you've got the food out, you've gotten up early, you've labored, right? I mean, you know what it's like. This is a laborious thing to prepare a meal for someone. It's time for the guests to arrive and they be they, they come one at a time and everybody's so grateful to see one another. And you as the host are excited. Everybody, you have their places set, you have their, you know, their plate, their fork, everything. Everybody has their own specific spot at this dinner table and they come in and they sit down and it's time for you to begin to serve them. And this is, I'm relating this to a real life situation so we can understand like really the heart of Jesus of what I saw. and it's time to serve your guests and, and you bring out the food and you're just like, okay, what can I serve you? What will you have to eat? And the first guest that you, you bring food to says to you, oh, no, thank you. I ate just before I came. Okay. All right, no, no big deal, right? One, one out of 10 isn't so bad. Okay, so you go on to the next one. What is it that I could get you to eat? Right? You as the host are longing to serve those who have come to your house. And the second guest says, oh, you know what? I'm so full. I actually just ate out in the driveway. No, thank you. I'm not hungry. Okay. And then you come to the third one and, and, and now you're starting to think, is anybody hungry? Is, has anybody come hungry? Is anybody ready to eat? And the third guest is like, no, you know what? Me and my family, we just, we ate, we're full. And I could feel the Lord's heart breaking in this. And the cry is, you've come to a dinner party, right? You've come to the table. Is there anyone who is hungry? Is there anyone? And then he says this to me at the very end of the vision. He says, son, and worst of all, you're full of yourself. And it wasn't a hurt cut. It was a cut that was accompanied by, it was, let me say it this way. It was a cut delivered as a kiss. And there was such honey on his lips. He says, son, you are full of yourself. And I knew he wasn't saying like, dude, you're prideful, you're arrogant. And, and if I'm being honest, that's part of it. But it was more of this that I'm more worried and consumed about the things going on around me and my own interests and my own desires and my own wants and these things. I'm full of myself. And Jesus, on Sunday mornings, we are able to come to this table and we can come with an anticipation. And at, at, at home, when you're praying with your family, you can come with this anticipation. But if I'm full of myself, there is no... 
who would go to a dinner party had already eaten? Who would not come to a dinner party ready to receive what the host had prepared for you? Is there anybody hungry? On Sunday morning, it was uh, 4.23, um, so what, maybe a few weeks ago, April 23rd is what, and I wrote this down. Um, what was really awesome about this, so that was the, this encounter I had on Sunday morning, it was the Wednesday before where I saw during practice this, and the Lord was asking who is hungry. And, and I want to encourage you guys, Phyllis, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, it was as you were praying in the Spirit during worship on this Sunday morning, and I got the interpretation of what you were singing, and it was just a really beautiful picture. And I want to encourage you guys, if you have your prayer language, like, let's get engaged in worship. The Lord is moving. The more, Lord is speaking to us. He's desiring to break in. And I know that when we enter in with one mind and one accord, and we're all willing to pay the same price to press in past ourselves to touch something in heaven, he's going to move, and he's going to pour out on our behalf. So engage in worship and Phyllis is engaging in worship this Sunday morning and I see the Lord dressed the same way that I saw him on Wednesday during worship and this time he had a wooden cooking spoon in his hand and he's walking around and he's touching our bellies and he's anointing us with a fresh hunger he starts in the back he comes through and everybody's standing there he's walking up to him and touching our bellies with this wooden cooking spoon he says I'm anointing you with a fresh hunger Here's the temptation, here's the, the warning that he gave me. In this hour also the enemy is serving up for you a dish. Do not be tempted in this hour to fill yourselves with things that will not satisfy. Allow us to hear the call to prayer, the call to fasting. Like this is an opportunity that is just lining up perfectly. The Lord is wanting to anoint us with a fresh hunger and the enemy is wanting to, to fill us up with everything else. Here's the grace on our life right now is to see the table prepared. You will be able to identify what God is wanting you to eat of and what the enemy is trying to get you to eat that will not satisfy. Don't allow him to trick you in this hour to give you that instant satisfaction, the thing that you will hunger again for. He's anointing us afresh with a fresh hunger. Don't be tempted to fill our bellies with things that just don't satisfy Um, another thing that the Lord has, had showed me was um, on a Friday night, I had come to what worship and what you guys were referring to uh, on Friday nights. And we worship for an hour or so, and Rick is engaging, and Phyllis is, is singing and singing in the spirit. And at the very end of uh, worship, I see this hourglass. And you know, the sand is falling through the narrow end of the hourglass and it's getting down to maybe the last handful of sand that's left in there. And it's getting down to the last few grains of sand. And as the last one's falling through, I see, I, and I know this was the hand of the Father. I know this was the hand of God who, who reaches in and I see from the forearm down and he grabs this hourglass and he simply flips it over. And he says, you thought you were out of time, but it's just beginning. And it, and it hit me in this way that it is so easy for God the Father. Listen, he is not limited. He is not restricted. He is outside of time. Time is for us. Time is, is working for us. But the things that we thought that were coming to an end, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. 
So I was so encouraged by that. Um, after that had taken place, we were getting ready to leave, and I was standing with Rick right here in the front. And I, and I just saw this. In this order, I saw these four uh, elements of time, right? It was a pocket watch in this order, a pocket watch, an hourglass, a sundial, and a grandfather clock. And there was nothing really that jumped out to me, you know, what, as far as like an interpretation or a meeting about any of these things. It took me a while to really get uh, some good insight on this, but I knew that the Lord was going to confirm this, and I wish I would have said it to you guys then, but I thought maybe it was me. When the hourglass showed up, I knew that the Lord was going to confirm this with a sign that it was going to be him, and I was almost certain that it was going to be, somebody was going to see an hourglass pop up somewhere. And it was the next morning, like five o'clock in the morning, Kenny had sent me um, a picture. And I don't know if you guys can see this or not, but this is what popped up on his phone the next morning. It was this hourglass and it said, have patience, God isn't finished yet. And I knew that that was just a confirmation to what the Lord was saying to us. So I wanna kind of dive into this, uh, these four elements of timeless and time is all together for us. I'm not saying that there's four different times or anything like that. What I'm saying is that God is giving us um, specific revelation and insight to understand how time is working together for us. I spoke about angels um, a while ago when I talked about the future being in us. Remember, our time is in us. The future is in us out of Ecclesiastes. And angels are known more by their function than they are by their name. And time is a host of heaven. Time is on our side. For the world, the time is, but for us, we are closer to eternal glory. Time is working for us. If we could just give it some time, we'll just, you know, let the Lord have his way. We will wait. We're not going to rush into things. Time is working for us. God uses time to work out all things together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He uses time in our favor. The world is not so. They're running out of time. They're out of time, right? They are, that's why it's so fast paced. They're trying to make up and he can redeem time in a moment. Time is working on our behalf. God is a redeemer of time. So into these four different units of time, the pocket watch. Listen, it is time for personal breakthrough. It is time for personal encouragement. Time for personal devotion. It is time for personal repentance. The change that needs to take place in you is already in you. We already have the pocket watch in our pocket. It's already in us. The thing that needs to change in you is already in you. No one sees what's in your pockets, but the Lord knows. I could see maybe the outline of your wallet, but I don't know how much cash you got in it. I could see maybe you have a pen in your pocket, but I can't tell you what color it is. Your phone, I can't tell you the messages and the missed calls that you have. I can only judge the outward appearance, but God knows what's in our hearts. He knows the hidden things that are in our pockets, and it's time to allow him to deal with the hidden things, be it sin, brokenness, hopelessness, worry, fear. It's time for personal freedom, and don't leave here this morning. If you know that there's things that you want to get set free from, it is time for personal freedom. The hourglass I knew when the Lord showed me that, he said, you thought you were out of time, but it's just beginning. And that's all I had. I didn't know what that really represented. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that as far as anything that you are believing God for, you may think it's over, but he's saying it's just beginning. And then he also gave me deeper revelation on this. He said, son, why don't you ask me about the sand? 
And I was like, okay, Lord, well, we all know the sand in the hourglass, and you would think I would think to ask him that. And I did it, and he gave me a little clue of what to ask. So I did. I said, well, Lord, what about the sand? And he said, well, what do you know about sand? And it just dropped in my spirit. And I'm like, Lord, I know that your thoughts for me number more than all of the grains of sand on all of the seashores. And he says, man, that's so good. It's time for you to get some new thoughts about how I feel about you. It's time for us to get some higher thoughts about how God really sees us and really feels about us. As it seems like, I don't know about you, but my thought life and my, my, my meditating on, on his thoughts toward me kind of seemed like they were running out. They were coming to an end and all of a sudden he flips this over. And I got this whole new heap of thoughts that are just waiting to flood into my life. It's time for us to really get some new thoughts about how God sees us. Psalm 139, it says, how precious, oh God, are your thoughts towards me. How great are the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. It's time to get some new thoughts on how God sees you and feels about you. The sundial. This represents the ancient ways. And I, I shared this a little while ago. And I'm telling you the breakthrough that has been taking place in my life. The, just the, the hunger again, the excitement again to just meet with Jesus by just simply doing the things I did in the beginning. In, in Revelation, it says, man, you, you know, this one thing I have against you is that you've left your first love. And then he gives us this equation almost, right? Like, okay, well, Lord, how do I get back to my first love? He says, first, I want you just to remember from where he had fallen. Then I just want you to repent. And then I just want you to start to do those old things again. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this, stand in the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. If you feel like you're in turmoil, if you feel like you're just caught up in your heart and your emotions and your mind, you know that you need rest for your souls. Well, simply remember from where you had fallen. Repent and begin to do the things that you did in the beginning. The sundial, it represents these ancient ways. In the grandfather clock, this is, this is really neat. I love this. This represents for us, it's time for legacy and inheritance. And the amazing thing about this grandfather clock that I saw, right? We all know that there's a pendulum that swings, you know? And this is how in the kingdom, legacy is what you leave and inheritance is what you receive. And sometimes you receive that which you haven't sown for. So I'm saying that we are about to receive an inheritance that we haven't, we haven't labored over, we haven't cried for, we haven't wept for. God is going to bless us with this inheritance because of what those have done that have gone before us. And legacy is what we, have what we are leaving, but this is how legacy and inheritance works, like a pendulum. It's step by step, it's legacy, it's inheritance. It's legacy, it's inheritance. As you receive, you're leaving. As you're receiving, you're, you're leaving. We receive mercy to become merciful. We receive his love then to turn around and pour out love. If it's more of him that we're wanting to experience, we need to pour out what he's already given us, that we leave that behind, that we get more from him in these areas. And this isn't just a natural legacy and inheritance. We are going to see that. This, I'm telling you, we are going to get things. There's gonna be an inheritance come to you that you don't even know you had. 
there's going to be an inheritance that comes to you that you thought the enemy stole. And matter of fact, he's going to have to add seven times to it because of the legacy that you had chose to leave. And I know the company of people that I'm in here and how you have, you, you have sown into generations. You have sown into generations. And I'm saying that it's, it's time almost to, to, to find out in this legacy inheritance, this grandfather clock, it's time to really figure out and position ourselves to receive so that we can continue to leave. For the mothers and the fathers of this house who have labored 40 plus years, you've left a legacy. And it's time for those who have seen that and been a part of that to position ourselves to receive what they have cried for, what they have believed God for, what they have hoped for, what they have fasted for, what they've continued to declare for. The inheritance is here. It's ready to be poured out so that we can continue to leave a legacy. So this pocket watch, it's yours. It's your personal device to tell time and it's time for personal breakthrough, it's time for personal freedom, it's time for personal hunger. The hourglass is time that we just get some new thoughts about how God sees us and feels about us. And it's gonna be fresh, it's gonna be new, it's gonna be maybe the old thoughts that you used to have, but with a fresh revelation and insight that just brings a fire again to your belly. The sundial, it's time just to return to the things that we saw God on. I'll quote uh, R.J. Lotzenheiser when he said that we need to stay in what got us in. That sounded kind of cool, right? I mean, like A.W. Tozier, R.J. Lotzenheiser. The man of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. God. He knows you by name, Rick. God of all creation. Knows you by name. The Lord is making us his inheritance. I want to read this to us. Lord, I pray that you just help us to receive this all over. This is out of Exodus 33. I'm going to kind of jump through here, and I have my New King James, so I don't know if you guys have the Passion Translation or not for it, but um, I'm just going to read this. Just receive it. So I'm just going to start here in verse 12 of chapter 33. And this just goes right along with the heart cry of what I'm even talking about, this confirmation we're asking for his glory. I step out into the foyer this morning, and, and I look out, and I don't know, did somebody have something burning? Were you guys burning something maybe at the house? Neighbor? I saw just the, the smoke from it, you know, it kind of just filled through the trees. And the Lord says, as you see this smoke, my glory is going to come in the same way. And he's talking it, uh, about it being a cloud. He's talking about it being a cloud that we are physically able to see. You know how it's going to come? It's going to come because we're burning. He is going to set us on fire afresh and anew to the degree that his glory is going to manifest visibly. And that was the cry that Rick was talking about in worship of just show us your glory, Lord. We want your glory. Moses says this in verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, this is Moses, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and, and I will give you rest. And this word rest means to settle down, to be soothed, quieted, to be secure, to be still, to dwell peacefully. And when I, listen, his presence soothes, comforts, settles, consoles, and quiets us. And I don't know why, but I felt when the Lord showed me this and he says, I'm going to give you rest in my glory. I heard him say this, that we should not fear his glory. Although it be disruptive, we will have rest. When his glory comes, it may be something that shakes us up a bit. Here's his promise. We shouldn't fear that. We shouldn't fear that. Why? He says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. So as his glory comes, he's going to go with us and he's going to give us rest. Moses goes on to say later on, he's like, look, if you're not going to come with us, don't send us. There, there's, there's no reason for me to go anywhere beyond where you're willing to go with me, Lord. And he's like, if you're, good enough, not, if you're not going to come with me, Lord, don't send me. And the Lord answers him, Moses, I'm going to go with you. My presence is going to go with you. Jump over here to um, verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do the things that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by glory. This breaks down, this is Moses' passionate plea to see God's glory is one of the most intimate encounters between a man and God ever recorded in a scripture. His request is not for a display of God's power or even the warmth of his presence, but he hungered for something more. Moses wanted an intimate knowledge of God himself. This is why God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and manifested his glory. So Moses was not only exposed to the light of his divine afterglow, but he was enraptured by the fullness of his person, his character, the one who is compassionate, gracious, and just. Yes, Moses had received God's promises, seen God's power, and been granted God's presence but Moses wanted God's person, the only reality that will ever evoke a lasting sense of wonder and fulfill with lasting satisfaction is the glory of God. This is what he is bringing to us. This is the inheritance that he's bringing to us. Verse nine of chapter 34 says, then he said, Moses, if I now have found grace in your sight, you can see this pattern. Lord, if I have found grace in your sight, I pray, go amongst us, even though, this is, this is what Phyllis is talking about this morning, listen, even though we're weak, right? Even though we are a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin, he says this, and take us as your inheritance. This word inheritance means to be, take full possession of, to take full possession of, it's time in this grandfather clock, the legacy inheritance, Lord, it is time for you to come and to take us as your full inheritance, Lord. And as he takes us as his, he becomes ours. So it's time. There is liberty in our looking. He is altogether lovely. 
Acts 1 verse 9 says, Now as he had spoken these things, I'm going to kind of shift gears here a little bit. So if I could, if I could jump back really quickly, I'll, I'll give us a little entranceway into this. God is anointing us with a fresh hunger. And I don't know if you guys have ever thought, but I know I, know I have. I'm like, Lord, how do I eat? Like, okay, Lord, I want to be hungry. How do I eat, Lord? I want to thirst for you. Lord, how, uh, how do I thirst? How do I drink of you? I've asked these questions. I, I heard in this teaching years ago, the, the uh, verse in Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, the, for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And it was just this, this amazing, I don't know if it was Bill Johnson, might have been. He's like, we can't be filled with more righteousness, right? We are already the righteousness of Christ Jesus, of God in Christ Jesus. And he's like, so what is it that we're filled with? We're filled with more hunger and thirst for more righteousness. Like it keeps us going after him. The more I eat, the more hungry I get. In the world, the, if you don't eat, you become hungry. Well, in the spirit, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. Then the more you want to eat and drink, and then the hungrier and more thirsty you get. And it's just this continual evolution of hungering and thirsting after God. So how do we eat? How do we, how do we get thirsty? We look. We begin to behold. Now, when he went up, this is in Acts uh, chapter 1. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched... While they watched, he was taken up. In verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, he went up. And this is a natural thing. This happened. As they were watching, he was ascending to heaven. But there's a spiritual parallel that as we behold him, the higher he gets. The more intently I look at him, the higher my gaze becomes. And I see less of what's going on around me. I become less distracted the more I look. And the more that I look, the more he draws me in. The more that I'm transformed into his image by just simply gazing at his beauty. It's time that I get a fresh look of the beauty of the Lord. He rises up above all outward problems. And even myself, there are all kinds of problems in the world but we know that the problems within are far worse. As we look upon him, he will be lifted up. Is he not altogether lovely? Is there not a charm in his every feature? The word lovely means to be able to be excited. It means to excite love and desire. Literally to mean that as you see him, you are struck with an excitement and in a desire. You will feel love sparked on the inside of you just by gazing upon the Lord. He who looks much loves much. He who looks little loves little. And I can testify of this truth in that when I go from a broken, atheist, depressed, suicidal, lost, hopeless, and I encounter the Lord and we allow him to look into us. And it was in this encounter for the first time that I see the eyes of Jesus. I, he sees into every area of my soul. And I'm telling you, it was with just one glance of his eyes that my spirit came alive for the first time. 
and brought healing to all of my brokenness, stuff that, you know, the doctors couldn't get to, the stuff that all the self-help books couldn't get to, the medication couldn't get to, antidepressants, anti-anxieties. I was on them for years and in a moment swallowed up in the love of God with one glance, with one glance, and it set me on a journey to just simply behold him. That's all I want to do, and that's all I want to get back to is just simply beholding the beauty of the Lord. Everything depends upon Christ occupying the chief place of my attention. Everything in my life depends on this one thing, is Christ occupying the highest place I'll quote Charles Spurgeon when he said, if I had an angel's tongue, I could not give proper color to Christ. All the words that we could use are simply shadows to his brilliance. Jesus himself is transcendently lovely. He has unrivaled charms. To desire the Lord is impossible without seeing him. To love him is, is impossible without seeing him. I'll quote an old theologian when he said this, that unless our sight of him causes a burning fire of love on the inside of us, then all of our knowledge of him is like the moon, all light and no warmth. The devil doesn't care about what I know. He cares about whether I see him or not. Because when I see him, then I'm transformed to be like him. That's what religion is. It's all the stuff that you, you can know all day, but if you've never actually tasted and seen that he is good, this is the thing that transforms me. All of his plots, the enemy, all of his plots and schemes are to stop you from seeing the excellence of Christ. Jesus excites love at every sight of himself. Why is it love that, he, that is stirred and excited at seeing him? It's because it's the one thing that he wants most from you. Lord, what do you want from me? I just want you to simply love me. And as we receive more of his love for us, it's just something we're able to turn around and pour right back out on him. It's the one thing that just brings his heart desire. Can you imagine the, the heart of the father in that we are choosing to love his son? Like nobody's forced us to come to church this morning. Nobody forced me to give my life to Jesus. But it brings the Father pleasure to look and to say, wow, at Fellowship of the Beloved this, this morning, not only did they bless my firstborn Israel, they've also chose to pour out their worship and their praise and their love upon my son who had paid the ultimate price for them. To miss him is to miss all, but to get him is to get all. We can have all the pleasures of this world and still live in unescapable darkness because the gospel reality is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of this man, Christ Jesus, and living by it, we have light. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christ like I believe in the sun has risen, not only because I could see it, but by it I see we see the sunrise and it's our belief that we believe in Jesus in this way, not only because I can see it, but by him I see. All this means really to look at, look at him. 
It's through contemplation and communion, setting our whole soul's desire on what he has revealed about himself in the scriptures. This keeps me from saying, well, man, I just haven't had the encounter that, that maybe Todd White had, or I haven't had the encounter of you fill in the blank. Why? Because Jesus has revealed himself to us through the scripture. That means that I could take anything in this book that causes a stirring on the inside of me and I could look into that and I could meditate on that and the book will reveal himself to me in that manner. And then I get to look at him in that capacity. Let it occupy the whole of your mind. Let the, gospel, the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ diffuse its peace and its joy and its love into every area of your life. Because to entertain sin is to invite sorrow. To miss the heart cry, the absolute hunger, the soul pining longing and desire for him. Our vision of him is dim. Because to see him rightly is to love him only. Thomas Watson once wrote, he said, Christ does not lack beauty, men lack eyes. Just as a blind man would be unmoved in his heart if a treasure chest was open right in front of him, he wouldn't even know it's there. Jesus is the treasure, he is altogether lovely. To hold him up is the altogether lovely one. His unmatched beauty urges us to take the crowns away from every creature, from every pursuit of this world, and to give it to him and him alone. Charles Spurgeon said, let Christ wear the crown that he bought with his own blood. All the human soul is longing for is found in the beauty of Jesus, to think daily on who he is, what he is like in his beautiful altogether nature, that he has and will plant in your heart. We can live down here as they do up there when he is the center of our affections, but we need to get eyes to see rightly. And it is our ministry, it's all of our ministry to do so. I'm gonna flip over, I'll end with this here. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm going to start in verse 17 and just read here for a moment. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then starting verse, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4. I don't know if you guys knew, I'm sure most of you did, but like when they wrote, you know, the old language canon scriptures, they, there's not, they're not broke down in the verses and chapters. They kind of just go together. And usually I would stop there because then I see another chapter starting. But the, the first verse of chapter four begins with the word therefore. And anytime that we see that, we have to go back to really see what it's there for, right? I mean, we have to take this in context. So, so this is what it says. This verse continues on, basically. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have this ministry, we receive mercy and we do not lose heart. So when I saw this for the first time, I'm like, well, Lord, what ministry are you referring to? And it's the ministry of beholding. There is liberty in our looking. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's liberty to what? Behold the beauty of the Lord. Anytime that we feel the presence of God come in and move on us, there is a freedom in that moment to stop what we're doing and turn all of our attention and all of our affection to just look at Jesus. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty to behold him we all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord 
And we are being transformed into his same image from glory to glory just by the spirit of the Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for your prophetic insight, Lord. I I thank you for revealing to us, Lord, that uh, it is time. Lord, and I pray that we do not become distracted, Lord. I pray that you would guard over my heart, guard, guard over our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to discern the times and the seasons that we're in, Lord. I pray, Father, for that that personal breakthrough, that personal freedom. Again, I want to set time aside if you need prayer for personal breakthrough, deliverance, whatever it is. If there's things that you need to uh, confess and repent of, it is time to do that. And I pray, Lord, for new thoughts to begin to form in our mind, Lord. I pray that you would reveal to us uh, new ways of how you feel about us. Even if it's things that we already knew, I pray you take us deeper into those things. Lord, for the sundial, God, I pray that what got us in keeps us in. Lord, I pray that we would just continue to stand in the ways and see and ask for the old past, Lord, where the good way is. And there we will find rest for our souls. And Father, I thank you that it's time for, for the legacy and the inheritance, Lord, to begin to manifest in our natural world. And Lord, even in the spirit that we begin to leave and receive the things that you have stored up for us in heavenly places. And we do all of this, Lord, by just simply looking at your beauty, Jesus, the altogether lovely one, the only one who is able to make such demands upon our soul, not because of what you say, Lord, because of what you have done. He is the only one that is able to say and put such demands upon our soul because he knows that he is the only one that could truly satisfy the soul. So Lord, I pray that even as we just simply behold you in this moment, Lord, I thank you that you come with your glory, that we're being transformed into your image. Lord, I thank you that we have this ministry, all of us in here this morning have this ministry to behold you. And in that, we will receive mercy and we will not lose heart. Lord, we will finish our race well when we simply behold. So Lord, we love you, we bless you. Thank you for your presence and your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8, there's a story called the faith of the centurion. And if you recall, this was right after um, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus had been healing people from leprosy and delivering them from demons. And this Roman centurion approaches him and says, Lord, my servant is at home with paralysis and suffering terribly. And Jesus said, shall I go there? and heal him. And there's a lot to unpack from this brief encounter, but the first thing I wanted you to notice was the heart of the centurion. If you know, a Roman centurion wasn't just a guard or a soldier. He commanded a centuria, which was a lot of men. It had 10 subdivisions. And so he had high rank and he had authority 
wars. He, he had to discipline soldiers that stepped out of line physically. It was a brutal existence. And he had seen more death than you could imagine. But he didn't send a servant or, or a, one of his aides. He went out personally to seek out Jesus for his servant. And his heart, his heart was breaking. He said, my servant is at home suffering. So notice his heart first. And then, of course, the story is, is called the faith of the centurion. So uh, look at his faith in Jesus. And he knew Jesus' power and authority. He had humility before him despite his own power and authority. So Jesus said, shall I come there and heal him? And the centurion, first of all, said, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. But second of all, I know authority. He said, I have, I have men underneath me, and I, I tell the soldiers to come, and they come. I tell them to go, and they go. When I command that something be done, it's done. And he knew Jesus' authority, and he said, all you need to do is speak, and my servant will be healed. And then Jesus said, look, look at this man. In, in all the land, this is the one with the most faith. So a pretty high compliment from Jesus. I want you to think about heart and faith as you come to the communion table this morning. Because it's what you need to serve the Lord. It's what you need to worship. It's what you need to pray and to fast. And it's what I want you to bring to the communion table this morning. Heart and faith. I don't know what you believe about the elements that are prepared here whether it's just some, it just represents something or, or whether it could actually be the body and blood of Jesus. But at least be open to the possibility that it's something more powerful than you can comprehend. More authority, more forgiveness, more peace, more healing. And whether or not you can comprehend that Jesus may physically be here to commune with you, that's up to you. But it's not beyond the realm of possibility if you have the heart and the faith of the centurion, and if you believe the scripture that says, with God all things are possible. So come, enter in, and commune with the Father.